On this Discover the Word podcast, we're excited to have best-selling children's author Sally Lloyd-Jones with us. We're going to talk about and listen to her read to us sections of the Jesus Storybook Bible, an amazing book for your children or your grandchildren to help them begin to understand what kind of book the Bible is. And as we'll discover, it's an amazing book for us, too. So the reason I wrote this book was for that little six-year-old to know the book isn't about what you're supposed to do. God always knew you'd never be brave enough and you'd never be strong enough. God loves you Mm -hmm. and he won't ever stop. And that's the first thing you need to know. And that is a message that we all need to hear. So pull your chair up to the table. It's going to be a great hour that we spend with Sally Lloyd-Jones on Discover the Word. And welcome to Discover the Word and some conversations Marty Hahn and Elisa Morgan and Bill Crowder had with Sally Lloyd-Jones. Sally is a best-selling children's author. She's written a lot of books, but the one we really want to focus on is the Jesus Storybook Bible. It has sold over three million copies in the last decade, and I think it's going to be fascinating to find out more about Sally and her background and also some of the backstory and reach of the Jesus Storybook Bible. But even more so, I think we want to talk with her about how this book can shape how we think about the Bible. Because honestly, this book has shaped us here at Discover the Word. The Jesus Storybook Bible so clearly communicates not just what we need to pass on to our children, but it expresses a way of thinking about and reading the Bible that can have a profound impact on us all. And trust me, when Sally starts reading a section of the book, which she will do in each of the segments, it's going to be powerful. So let's get started. Let's join Mart and Elisa and Bill and Sally Lloyd-Jones at the Discover the Word table. I am so excited. You're going to have to tie me down to my chair today. (laughs) Yeah, you're not alone. (laughs) I think this is something we've been looking forward to for a long time, right? Uh, To have Sally Lloyd-Jones with us. Well, I have been looking forward to it, too. It's great to be here. I have loved using the Jesus Storybook Bible with my children, with my grandchildren. But I like it, honestly, for myself, too. (laughs) So this is a selfish (laughs) moment for me. Your approach to the Bible and the story that it tells and uh, the gentle way you do it, but with imagination. Mm. How long had you thought about writing a children's storybook? Well, I hadn't really been thinking about it, but when I was given the chance to write it, it brought all of this back. Where I mean, I was brought up in a Christian family. I became a Christian when I was four. Mm-hmm. So it's never a time I didn't know Jesus loved me. He okay. was my best friend. But I really wasn't quite so sure about God. <laughs> and I think this is true of many children, and I know it's probably true yeah. of adults. I had this dichotomy, so I knew Jesus was for me, but I thought kind of God was against me. So by the time I was six, I have this snapshot in my mind. I'm walking to church with my dad, holding his hand. From the outside, you'd have thought, isn't that marvelous? Isn't that just so lovely? They're going to church together. But in my six-year-old head, what I was saying was, when I grow up, I'm never going to church ever again. So what went wrong? Between the four-year-old who became a Christian, Mm -hmm. knew Jesus loved her, to a six-year-old promising never to go to church again. And it was, unfortunately, what was happening in the Sunday school. Now, I don't know. I only have my memory as a six-year-old. So I may have misunderstood everything. And I have great admiration for anyone who teaches Sunday school. Whatever it is, you got our attention. (laughs) (laughs) And we've probably walked paths that aren't that far off of that as well. Yeah. And so now I know when I see a child, you never know what's going on with them. But as a six-year-old, I got the message at that Sunday school, for whatever reason, that I wasn't doing it right and God wasn't pleased with me. I thought I had to be brave like David. I had to be brave like Daniel. And as a six-year-old, I'd imagine myself trying not to mind being thrown to to lions. And of course I would mind. Mm -hmm. And in my little six-year-old heart, I thought, well, you're supposed to be able to do that. So God must not love me. So the reason I wrote this book was for that little six-year-old to know the book isn't about what you're supposed to do. God always knew you'd never be brave enough and you'd never be strong enough. God loves you Mm -hmm. and he won't ever stop. And that's the first thing you need to know because you're never going to change your life by rules. Before we get too far into this, uh, you've written a lot of other books as well, right? Yes. Tell us about that. What kind of books are they? So I write for children and I think my job is to bring children joy. Whether that's helping them with potty training, whether it's helping them when a new baby comes into the home, or whether it's telling them the amazing story of the Bible. 
I don't see any difference between all of those books because they're all, to me, God's calling to me. For instance, potty training. I wrote a book called Skip to the Loo, a potty book. <laughs> <laughs> because in Britain, the toilet the is called yeah. the loo. So yeah. now I'm training all the Americans to use that word because I think it's fabulous. But also... For a toddler, I just know this, it's probably the most traumatic thing they've had to deal with yet. So my job is if I can come alongside that little child and say, hey, look at all these animals. They have to go to the potty too and everyone's going to the potty and make it funny and make Mm -hmm. them laugh. Mm -hmm. If you get them laughing, you've declawed that Mm. scary thing. So the same with when a new baby comes. I'm a big sister, older sister of four girls. And I remember how traumatic that was. And if I've got time, I'm going to tell you this quick story, but... We were in Africa. My par- This was back in the days when parents left children in cars. They left us in the car. It was me, I was two, and my little sister who was sitting in the, you know, carry cot or whatever you call it. Yeah. Kind of oh, bassinet. Bassinet, bassinet, right. Yeah. So they leave. So I'm sitting in the seat. My sister's in the bassinet. When they come back, I'm in the bassinet and my sister's on the floor. <laughs> so that tells you everything, right? It so does. then I wrote a book called How to Be a Baby by Me, the Big Sister, which is all about how hopeless babies are. <laughs> and then I have another called King Baby, a terrible true story. And it's written in the voice of a six-year-old little girl who has had a lovely life until this baby comes mm-hmm. and everyone kisses his toes, brings him gifts, he can do no wrong. Yeah. But it's really to address Children have real fears and concerns. Don't you love it? This is so good, sitting around this table together, Sally, because day after day we're opening the scriptures. But there's a perception, I think, even as you talk right now, there seems like so much space between the real life stuff you're talking about Mm -hmm. and opening the Bible. Is there a connection? I mean, you have a heart for the children, the Jesus Storybook Bible, Mm -hmm. but you have such a heart for all of this other real stuff. Why do you do both? Because that's God's heart, isn't it? Like as adults, we know he cares about everything and we bring to him everything. But a little child doesn't know that. And maybe we don't need to compartmentalize our lives as much as we try to. But there are so many great stories that can help children. And I think that, you know, God is all about bringing order out of chaos from the very beginning. He's the creator. As a writer, I look at that as I'm bringing order out of chaos by putting words together. That's where I imitate my father. Today we want to dip into the actual Jesus Storybook yeah. Bible, which really is a telling of mm-hmm. God's story in Scripture. In your words, Sally. And it's a book for children, mm-hmm. but every adult should read it. Mm-hmm. This parent or grandparent may be reading this to this child, and they need to hear it as much as right. the child yeah. does. Yeah. Because we're God's children, and he talks to us as his children. So I'm going to read the first story of the book. It's called The Story and the Song. God wrote... I love you. He wrote it in the sky and on the earth and under the sea. He wrote his message everywhere because God created everything in his world to reflect him, like a mirror, to show us what he's like, to help us know him, to make our hearts sing. And God put it into words too and wrote it in a book called The Bible. Now some people think the Bible is a book of rules telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes, showing you people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, but as you'll soon find out, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and run away. At times, they are downright mean. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is, it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at the center of the story, there is a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in a puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together and suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. That's lovely. 
I think the most um, august theologians <laughs> would say what a beautiful example of seeing Jesus mm-hmm. in the story of the Bible throughout the pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've expressed it gorgeously, gorgeously. Mm-hmm. I love the way you say every story whispers his name. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What I've noticed is throughout the stories you tell, with such wonderful imagination, there's some sense of moving forward. You say there's more coming, yes. but you don't front load. No, I never. Well, I love cliffhangers. <laughs> and all along, all through the Old Testament, you get this pointer at all times that someone's coming, the rescuer. I deliberately didn't mention his name. I talk about there's a prince coming, there's a hero. The first time you hear his name is when Mary hears it. Mm-hmm. Now, it's the storybook Bible. So with this story, the story in the song, is there a particular scripture? Yes. That, uh, Can I read you, it to you? Yeah, please. Yeah. It's Psalm 19, 1 to 2, and it's my paraphrase. The heavens are singing about how great God is, and the skies are shouting it out. See what God has made. Day after day, night after night, they're speaking to us. That's very different from your six-year-old perspective of God, but isn't it? But I see it? the yeah. connection, though. Yeah. 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 I mean, the six-year-old knew Jesus loved her. Yeah. I think what blew me away, even in writing this book, was just when you see the Father's heart. And it's such a distortion to think he's all about rules. He's the one mm-hmm. who gives up his son. If you think Jesus loves you, then, of course, God loves you. And when you see his heart, it melts you, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. And knowing that God loves you, Sally, I mean, it emanates from you. It seems to me that that has shaped your effort. You know, this passion of wondering as a six-year-old, four-year-old to a Mm. six-year-old, it continues to shape who you are. Yes. God isn't a taskmaster. He's not a hard man, as a friend of mine says. We think he's a hard man. He's not. He's a loving Heavenly Father, and He calls us His children. If we could really live into that, I speak to myself, if I could realize there's nothing I can do to make Him love me more, and there's nothing I can do to make Him love me less, if that really went in, I think we would be much more peaceful, wouldn't we? Wow, that is a great start to our conversation with Sally Lloyd-Jones here on Discover the Word. Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, and Bill Crowder at the table with Sally, and they're talking about the Jesus Storybook Bible. And after hearing Sally read that first chapter, I can't wait to hear her read another. And it sounds like that's how the whole group feels. So let's continue. In part two, she's going to read a story from the Old Testament, the one about the new beginning. Any idea which one that may be? Well, let's find out. Sally, yesterday you read us a Bible story. and It was good, wasn't it? <laughs> aren't you ready for the next one? I, mean, I it, teared it, up yesterday. Yeah. I mean, I had to get Kleenex out. Yeah, yeah We've I read your to... words before, but hearing you read, that's, oh, that's good. Well, thank you. I yeah. always feel that my job is to make children laugh and grown-ups cry. Oh, oh my okay. goodness. Well, that worked. Okay, mission accomplished. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us more, though, about this Jesus Storybook Bible. What's um, the background again? It Really, I wrote it for the child I was and for the children I know. My biggest prayer is for children to know without question that God loves them. There's nothing they can do to make God love them more, Ah. and there's nothing they can do to make him love them less. Because if they know that, everything changes. Yeah. You struggled with that as a young child. Yes, as a little child. I knew from Mm -hmm. the age of four that Jesus was my best friend. I never doubted that, but I really wasn't quite so sure about God. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it was only when I realized that the Bible wasn't a book of rules that I'm supposed to be keeping so Mm -hmm. God will love me, or a book that, you know, I'm supposed to copy Daniel and be as brave as him so God will love me, that it wasn't really so much all about me. It was about this incredible story of what God's done to rescue his children. And that at the center of that story, there's a baby. Mm. And God had planned this from the very beginning and that Jesus is in the Old Testament. That changed everything. When I saw that, you know, David then became not an example. He became a pointer to a greater David. Even yesterday, as you were reading, I believe the phrase was, in an every story whispers, whispers his name. His name. Mm-hmm. That concept of understanding Jesus in all of it the Bible. It changes everything. It it's does. almost like the words of Scripture then become witnesses, don't they? Pointing beyond yes. themselves. Yes. Mm-hmm. And always pointing. And I love cliffhangers. So that goes perfectly with cliffhangers. So at the end of every story, I'll say something like, but there's going to be another hero coming who's going to defeat a far greater giant. And then I go to the next story, and so everyone's like, oh! What? Yeah. Which who? <laughs> and you're, Stay you're tuned. Right. You, yes. you know, adults probably know, but children don't. So they're mm-hmm. hearing it for the first time. And it's mm-hmm. what an honor for me to be able to do that. That is really good. I wish my life could be like stimulating that curiosity. Yeah. The sense of imagination. Yeah. And also the sense of 
and I use this phrase intentionally, childlike wonder. Yes. Which I think this connects with, because for kids, everything's brand new. Mm -hmm. And to connect with that sense of wonder that children have is great for them and fresh for us. Yeah, and I hope it doesn't insult you to think, I think adults need your book more than kids do. Oh, no, (laughs) it doesn't insult me at all. I actually love that God's done that. Yeah. Yeah. And it happens so much that we had to do an edition for adults because the adults kept stealing the children's book. (laughs) So now we've done one for those adults who wouldn't ever been seen reading a children's book on the train. It's called The Story of God's Love for You, and it doesn't have the pictures, and it's a paperback. What's clever about that? It wasn't my idea, but the mm-hmm. clever idea about that is you could give it to anyone. You could mm-hmm. give it to someone who's not right. mm-hmm. from Brilliant. the Christian faith. Brilliant. Because who doesn't want to know God, exactly. about God's love? Exactly. You got us all excited yesterday for the next, yeah. and the now next we story. get to have the next story. Yeah. So what next story do well, you want to share with the us? The next story I'd love to share is the story of Noah. Noah. So we've had the beautiful creation, the perfect world, the terrible fall, and the terrible lie that comes into the world that God doesn't love you and you're missing out. And now we have Noah, and I'm going to read it, and it's called A New Beginning. Time passed, and many people filled the earth. Everyone everywhere had forgotten about God and were only doing bad things all the time. God's heart was filled with pain when he saw what had happened to the world he loved. Everywhere was disease and death and destruction, all the things God hates most. Now Noah was God's friend, which was odd in those days because no one else was. Noah listened to God. He talked to God. He just loved being with God, like you do with your best friend. Noah, God said, things have gone wrong. People have filled my world with hate instead of love. They're destroying themselves and each other and my world. I must stop them. First, we'll build an ark. Do you know how to build an ark? Neither did Noah. Luckily, God knew, and he would show him. A storm is coming, God told Noah, but I will rescue you, I promise. I'll send the animals to you, ones that creep and crawl and slither and slime and gallop and hop and bound and climb, and don't forget to pack everyone's food. The storm was going to wash away all the hate and sadness and everything that had gone wrong and make the world clean again. God had thought up a way to keep Noah safe, but Noah would have to trust God and do exactly what God told him. So Noah built an ark, short for very large boat. (laughs) Noah's neighbours came out to watch and point and laugh because they didn't believe Noah about the boat or the storm or needing to be rescued. And Noah must have looked rather silly. His boat was in the desert. The desert was nowhere near the sea and there wasn't even a cloud in the sky. Why would anyone need an umbrella, let alone a boat? But Noah didn't mind so much what other people thought. He minded what God thought. So he just did what God told him to do. When the ark was ready, God said, All aboard! And Noah's family and all the animals climbed inside. Then God shut the door. And it started raining. For minutes that joined up into hours, that joined up into days, that joined up into weeks and weeks. And the rain joined up into puddles, that joined up into rivers, that joined up into lakes, that joined up into a flood that covered the whole world. Their boat, that had once seemed so big, suddenly seemed very small. But in the middle of the huge storm, in the crashing waves, in all the thunder and lightning, through it all, God was with them. And God kept them safe for 40 long days and 40 long nights. Finally, the rain stopped. The sun came out and Noah threw open all the windows. Hooray! Everyone shouted. Noah sent his dove out to explore and it wasn't long before she brought him back a fresh olive leaf. Everyone knew exactly what that meant. She had found a tree and land. The water was going down. At last, the boat landed quite suddenly on top of a great mountain. As soon as it was safe, God said, Out you come! And so they did, everyone skipping and dancing onto dry land. The first thing Noah did was to thank God for rescuing them, just as he had promised. And the first thing God did was make another promise. I won't ever destroy the world again. And like a warrior who puts away his bow and arrow at the end of a great battle, God said, See, I have hung up my bow in the clouds. And there, in the clouds, 
just where the storm meets the sun, was a beautiful bow made of light. It was a new beginning in God's world. It wasn't long before everything went wrong again, but God wasn't surprised he knew this would happen. That's why, before the beginning of time, he had another plan, a better plan. A plan not to destroy the world, but to rescue it. A plan to one day send his own son, the Rescuer. God's strong anger against hate and sadness and death would come down once more, but not on his people or his world. No, God's war bow was not pointing down at his people. It was pointing up into the heart of heaven. That's compelling. (laughs) Beyond description. Mm. And things come to the surface too. Questions pop up. A war bow. A Mm -hmm. war bow. We've always heard the term rainbow. Mm -hmm. Sally, what's the war bow? Well, I heard that in a sermon and researched it and I just thought that makes sense of everything. Mm. We sometimes make things sentimental. Like a rainbow can be used in all kinds of ways. But Mm -hmm. the truth Mm -hmm. is, the only way God can do what he promises is to have pain come into his heart. Mm-hmm. That's the realism, isn't it? That's the wonder of his love for us, yeah. that the war bow was aimed at the heart of heaven. We often think of him as anger. I'm not sure we really understand it because it's rooted so deeply in his grief, his groaning. Yes. Yeah. And you know, when we hear the story of Noah, oftentimes we think of the dove yeah. with the olive branch and we see that as kind of a symbol of peace. But what greater symbol can there be that peace has come than that the warrior hangs up his bow? Mm. It's no longer needed. And it mm. gives us space. You know, as Sally, you were saying, as a child, you were afraid of God the Father, mm-hmm. but close to Jesus. It gives us space to understand. It's like we have to remove God from us because he has anger. He's angry with death. He and hates it, yes. the violence. He hates what we exactly. do to one another. It's not because he's out to punish and get payment from us. No, it's the consequence of our own choices. Yes. And yeah. that reflects his heart. He, yes, his heart. So instead of running and hiding from God's anger through Jesus, we can understand mm-hmm. the heart of the Father who turns yeah. his anger at his own heart. Yeah, That's the good news, isn't it? Yes. I mean, it really yeah. is good yeah. news. Yeah, when that bow was hung up, it was peace for us. Yeah. Look what lengths God went to, to save us, that they would agree to this before the beginning of time, yeah. that this is the way they're going to get us back, that God can't stop loving us. Yeah. That's another phrase I use a lot because it blessed me. I just can't stop loving you. That's what God the Father says to us. I just can't stop loving you. Yeah, and may that truth be what our children hear when we teach them about Jesus. As Sally said today, these stories are not meant primarily as examples for us to follow, but as arrows that point us to Christ. And the sooner our children understand, I guess the sooner we all understand, that our acceptance is secured through Christ and not through our own performance, well, the sooner we'll be freed from the dread of failure. You're at the table with Mark DeHaan, Alisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and our guest, Sally Lloyd-Jones. And if you don't have a copy of the Jesus Storybook Bible for your kids or your grandkids, don't miss this opportunity to pour the message of Jesus into their lives, from Noah to Moses to King David to Peter and John and Paul, every story points to a child, the one on whom everything depends. And you can find a link to order a copy of the Jesus Storybook Bible when you visit discovertheword.org. Scroll down until you see the image of the cover, click on it, and you'll be taken to where you can order a copy so you can read it to your kids and your grandkids and maybe pass it on as a gift to a family who has little ones. And as Bill said earlier, we here at Discover the Word think this is a book that all adults should read as well. So get a copy of the Jesus Storybook Bible via that link on our website or any of the other book buying options that you have. And now back to the conversation with Sally Lloyd-Jones and the influences that factored into her writing the chapter about the girl that no one wanted. Which Bible story is that? Well, again, let's find out. Sal, you shared with us that God has met you as you've been writing these stories. You know, yes. each story that you've written comes from an experience you've had with God yeah, reading yeah. scripture. So I'm really interested in the next story you're going to tell, yeah. how God shaped that. So this book, you know, the Jesus Storybook Bible, I wrote for the child I was, because uh-huh. as a little girl, I thought Jesus loved me. I knew Jesus loved me. I wasn't so sure God did, because I thought he demanded me to be perfect, basically. How long did it take 
for you to figure that out. Some of us are still trying. Well, I think I know most of us. No, I didn't. You don't realize that's how you're operating. I think it shows up in moralism in the unhealthy mm-hmm. way. You know, obviously there are rules that help us live life correctly, but it's all about motivation. And I didn't really put that together until I was in my 40s, probably. Okay. Even though I knew the Lord and I loved, I would say, for me, under the teaching of Dr. Tim Keller, yeah. mm. hearing the grace preached and how Jesus is in the Old Testament. When I started putting that together is when it changed, because yeah. then I saw God's heart. It's mm-hmm. not only equipped me personally, but it's fueled my work that Mm. God's given me to do. I think in the beginning of your book, you mentioned that Pastor Tim Keller actually gave you a language of faith. faith. Is that the way you put it? Yes. What did you mean by that? Well, listening to him preach, you get the rich theology. You get Christ-centric preaching. I learned that about the Old Testament. But the other thing that I didn't realize I was being trained in, his whole goal is to meet people who would never come to church. So he never uses jargon. Hmm. He always finds ways to explain faith in a way that someone who would be very uncomfortable in a church can feel welcome. Mm. So no Christianese. No. And Mm -hmm. that's really trained me because that's what God's called me to do, to reach children don't know anything about Mm -hmm. jargon. When I was writing this book, I imagined my nephew sitting in front of me, and he was about four at the time. And I thought, if I said to Harry, Harry, you have sinned, he wouldn't know what that means. All he'd think is rules. Mm -hmm. So when I was trying to work out how do I describe sin, I thought you have to show that it's a relationship that's broken, Mm -hmm. that you've hurt God's heart. If a child knows that sin means you think you'd rather be without God, when God loves you and you've run away, that helps a child connect. Mm. Helps an adult connect. (laughs) So I think Tim taught me a lot about being really rigorous about never using jargon and working harder to really tell a better story. No. Each day you're reading us a story, and I'm anxious for Mm -hmm. you to read us a story today. But before you do, is there a particular reason why you wrote this story that you're going to read us today? Yes, I mentioned my nieces and nephews. So this one, it's about Rachel and Leah. And I wrote this story because my niece was probably like around three when I was writing this story. And she was one of those children that your listeners, I'm sure, will have in their lives who was completely taken up in fairy tales. Mm-hmm. She would dress in fairy tale outfits. She'd wear tiaras. She'd sing and Princess twirl. dress. And, she mm-hmm. came down to breakfast mm-hmm. in a tiara. <laughs> Everything. And, you know, she would move herself to tears by singing, One Day My Prince Will Come. Oh, it was just goodness. adorable. How precious. But she was in a playgroup, and she'd already been called names like ugly and fat, though she was none of those things. And watching that, it just broke my heart. And I started thinking, oh, Lord, it's so sad. She's going to grow up to find out that it just isn't true. And then immediately a thought broke through. What if her wonder is pointing to the truth? What if her longing for a prince to come is pointing to the true prince? You know, my nephew was dreaming of being a hero, but he was struggling at school. What if his longing for a hero, what if that was true? What if it all pointed to the beautiful fairy tale that's true, the gospel? And the real prince. And so that's why I wrote this story for little girls and little boys, and maybe big ones too, who (laughs) doubt that they're good enough. This one's called The Girl No One Wanted. There were once two sisters. The youngest sister was very beautiful, and her name was Rachel. But the older sister wasn't beautiful at all. Some thought her quite ugly, and her name was Leah. Rachel was the kind of girl who always gets invited to parties and chosen for the team. Everyone loved her. And poor Leah? No one hardly even noticed her. One day, their cousin Jacob came to stay. He was one of Isaac's sons and he was on the run. Jacob had stolen and cheated and made some enemies, including his own brother. And now he was hiding. The funny thing is, Jacob, of all people, was the one God gave the special promise to the same promise he had given his grandfather, Abraham. I will rescue the world through your family. But then God chooses people we would least expect, as we'll see. Jacob stayed a long time working for his uncle Laban. One day Laban said, Jacob, I've decided to pay you for your work. What do you want? A sudden thought struck him. How about one of my daughters? Jacob looked at Rachel and he looked at Leah. Who would he choose? Of course, he chose Rachel. I'll work seven years for free, Jacob said, if I can marry Rachel. So Jacob worked seven years and at last his wedding day arrived. But that night, Laban played a nasty trick on Jacob. Instead of sending Rachel to marry Jacob, he sent Leah. 
Now, in those days they didn't have electricity, so it was dark in their tent. And besides, women wore veils, and you couldn't see their faces properly. So Jacob suspected nothing. The next morning, Jacob woke up and screamed. His new wife was lying beside him. But it wasn't Rachel. It was Leah. Jacob jumped out of bed. Laban, he cried, you scoundrel. But Laban said, work for me another seven years and then you can marry Rachel. So Jacob worked for Laban another seven years. And at last, Rachel became his wife. Now Jacob had two wives. But of his two wives, Jacob loved Rachel the best. No one loves me, Leah said. I'm too ugly. But God didn't think she was ugly. And when he saw that Leah was not loved and that no one wanted her, God chose her to love her specially, to give her a very important job. One day, God was going to rescue the whole world through Leah's family. Now, when Leah knew that God loved her in her heart, suddenly it didn't matter anymore whether her husband loved her the best or if she was the prettiest. Someone had chosen her. Someone did love her with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking always and forever love. So when Leah had a baby boy, she called him Judah, which means this time I will praise the Lord. And that's just what she did. And you'll never guess what job God gave Leah. You see, when God looked at Leah, he saw a princess. And sure enough, that's exactly what she became. One of Leah's children's children's children would be a prince. The prince of heaven, God's son. This prince would love God's people. They wouldn't need to be beautiful for him to love them. He would love them with all of his heart. And they would be beautiful because he loved them. Like Leah. <laughs> wow. God's love for us makes us beautiful. Yeah. And yeah. we struggle to believe it. Some studies said that 90% of women would never use the word beautiful to describe them. Mm. We have such a limited so much understanding. Shame. So mm. much shame. And the enemy works with shame. Yeah. And the same thing works for men and for yes. boys, mm -hmm. not only in the not good looking enough, not strong enough, not right. talented mm -hmm. enough, not fast enough, not enough. Not worthy. Yeah. 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 What if we could realize God says to us, you're enough because I've done everything that's required. Mm. And we don't believe it, do we? Yeah. We don't. His love makes us beautiful. Yeah. It's a backwards yeah, kind of yeah. understanding. Yeah. But you see that, don't you? When you love someone, how they, like a child, again, I go back to children, when you pour love into a child, they blossom, don't they? Mm. Mm. And they do become more beautiful, probably because they become more themselves. Hmm. Like when we feel ugly, we're not our true selves, are we? And no. God's always going back to that thing of his fierce protective love to draw out the true person that we are because he created us that way. Yeah. Think of um, middle schoolers who perhaps are in that challenging stage of acne or mm. having orthodontia work and you know, girls who constantly keep their hand over their mouth, you know, when they talk or, mm. you know, and it's like God just can remove that shame and mm. call us up, you know, when the braces are off, when we see ourselves the way yeah. we are. Yeah. And I wish, don't you wish you could go back to your younger self and say, you know what, you're beautiful. But I say this to my niece and she goes, yeah, but you have to say that you're my aunt. Mm. But yeah. I still say it because mm -hmm. yeah. I see it. She doesn't see it. Right. Well, what a wonderful discovery here in Leah's life to think that there was something happening there was a plan and it was moving forward and the prince was coming. And of all the things, she's the one. She's the princess in this story. Yeah. God chooses her line, yeah. not Rachel. Rachel gets chosen for the parties. Leah gets chosen <laughs> for the biggest rescue the world's ever known. Sally, I noticed in the front of your book, it says illustrated by Jago. Did you guys notice that? Is that a one word title like share? Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's lucky. He's got one. Name, I've got three. <laughs> but I think he's the cooler one for the one word, right? Who is he? He's like a surfer dude. Okay. In the capital of surfing in England, which is in Cornwall. And I have been going there since a little child oh, on holiday. Right. It's huh. where he lives. So early on, I didn't meet him before he illustrated the whole book. I met him just after. He's just wonderful. So and he's now, British as well. Yeah. I got to admit to you, before I ever read the book, mm -hmm. I was taken. He's oh. wonderful. Well, here's the thing. In the kind of books I write, which are picture books, storybooks, yeah. storybooks, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. you know there are storybooks without pictures, so it's called oh, a picture see. book because it's a story told in two languages, oh. word and image, mm -hmm. and the illustration 
on the cover is the front door of the book. If the illustration isn't right, me as a writer, my text stands no chance. No one's even going to pick it up. So the fact that Jago Mm. is so brilliant, he's done this incredible job, which shows multi-ethnic. I know without him, Mm. I wouldn't be here talking to you. So it's a lovely form because it keeps you humble in a way. Did he immerse himself in your stories first, I'm imagining. Yeah, okay. but he had a very short time to do it, so that's another miracle. He was the third illustrator. We had two false starts, mm. which I praise God for because they were not nearly as good as Jacob. Did the publisher mm. find him or did you no, find I him? No, I found him. Did you? Obviously, the publisher had to agree right. and everything. But I have a background in art direction. I worked in publishing for a long time. Really? And if you'd talked to me then, I would have probably said to you, you know, and I like to share this with younger people. I would probably have said to you, you know, yeah, I really want to be a writer, but I'm not good enough. And so I've kind of sold out. I'm not doing really what I want to do. I'm on the wrong side of the desk, but oh, well. Mm. (laughs) At least I'm in the industry. (laughs) Yes, exactly. But God had a great plan. And in 2000, I got laid off, which I would have told you is the worst thing that could ever have happened. Mm. But it wasn't. It was amazing. And it was God's way of pushing me to do what I needed to do, which was Mm. right. But none of it was wasted because I had an art direction. Anytime I saw a great illustrator I'd put it in a file Hmm. and Jago was one of those people (gasps) so what I did was I collected tear sheets anytime I saw an illustration that I loved and I thought you know what someday I might have something I could hire him as an illustrator when the two people fell through I went to that and I thought I'd love it if Jago could do it and then I sort of quickly Mm. found out wait a minute who's his agent and I knew his agent so I called his agent and said might Jago be available got them to send books to the off-site meeting that we were having. And anyway, it was all, long story short, Jager was clearly God's choice. And And how did he interact with the story himself? I think he had 10 months to illustrate Mm. the whole book. Wow. Mm. Meanwhile, his wife was having their first child, (laughs) and they were moving. Well, he did a great job. He did. You know, when I saw his illustration of Jesus, Mm. I was just like, oh, okay. Because that's Uh, that's, really hard, isn't it? That's fresh. But we've just been so taken, not only with the stories, Sally, but with the way you read them. Mm. You're going to read us another one today, Yes, I'd right? love to do that. What are you going to read for us today? I'm going to read Psalm 23, the paraphrase. The paraphrase, meaning? Well, again, the Bible is a grown-up book, isn't it? And so I'm not a translation. What I'm doing is putting the grown-up book in words young people can hear. Mm. So, you know, like the message, mm-hmm. it just comes at a different angle. And mm-hmm. so this is my paraphrase of the Psalm 23 made specially for children. So this is found. God is my shepherd, and I am his little lamb. He feeds me. He guides me. He looks after me. I have everything I need. Inside, my heart is very quiet, as quiet as lying still in soft green grass in a meadow by a little stream. Even when I walk through the dark, scary, lonely places, I won't be afraid because my shepherd knows where I am. He is here with me. He keeps me safe. He rescues me. He makes me strong and brave. He is getting wonderful things ready for me, especially for me, everything I ever dreamed of. He fills my heart so full of happiness, I can't hold it all inside. Wherever I go, I know. God's never stopping never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love will go to. Okay, but is this what is coming out of the Jesus Storybook Bible? Yes, it's coming out of the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's also, because it's so self-contained, we wanted to put it into a board book, which is also known as an edible edition. In other words, babies can now enjoy it without tearing the whole book apart. (laughs) They can mouth it. Yes, they can (laughs) chew on God's word, is what I like to say. So. We put it into a board book, which is adorable, and Jago then illustrated that. Instead of just four pages, Mm. he has 10 spreads Mm. where he can really show this story. Mm. And children love it, especially Mm. little ones. And they just go mad on, which is so interesting, is the dark in the Valley of the Shallow Mm. of Death, which I call the dark, scary, lonely places. Mm. And there's an image of a little lamb in a storm, all alone, is what you think, Mm. with clouds. And then the following spread, Mm. it pans out and suddenly you see the lamb was never alone because Mm. the shepherd's always running to the lamb. And there's a truth, a very profound truth in that small board book that you may feel alone, but if you pan out, your shepherd is always running to you. Mm. Mm. And so what's so lovely about that is also I like to share it because 
even the tiniest child knows all is not well. And you have to tell children the truth. No one's too young for the truth. Mm. And the truth in that is telling them, yes, there are storms and you will feel scared. But look, your shepherd's running to you. Rather than we're going to pretend there are no storms. Because Mm. if you do that, Mm. what happens to a child is they know that's not true. So they can't trust you because you're not telling them the truth. So I love to share that Mm. because... Obviously, you have to be age appropriate, but no one's too young for the truth. Mm. It sounds like your illustrator not only gets to the heart of the story you're telling, but he resonates with your heart, too. Yeah. And that's the beauty of it. The art does something that the text can't do. Mm. And together, they Mm -hmm. create this beautiful thing that an editor friend of mine says, one plus one equals more than two. Mm. Mm. When Mm. that works, you've got something beautiful. Mm. A story in two languages. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, a couple of times now, Sally, you've used an expression to describe God's love and almost the persistence of it, mm-hmm. the the way that God's pursuing love just keeps pursuing no matter mm-hmm. what. What's that phrase again, and how did you mm-hmm. kind of come to that? So the phrase is, God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. I think mm-hmm. I was really thinking about myself as a little six-year-old thinking that I could do something for God to stop loving me Mm. and when I go into schools and Sunday schools and churches I often ask children and these are children who know Bible stories and I say to them how many people here think you have to be good for God to love you and they don't initially put their hand up but I put my hand up because truthfully isn't that our struggle every day to believe that Mm -hmm. of course so I put my hand up and then you see that they feel permission then I say to them, how many people here think if you stop being good, God will stop loving you? And then all their hands go up. Hmm. And I think that's probably the more insidious lie. You've become a Christian, so God's forgiven you. But you sometimes have this idea that as a Christian, now I can't do anything wrong. God expects me to be perfect. It's a lie. We can't be perfect. I mean, we want to be and God will help us. Our lives will change through him, but he still forgives us. And there's nothing we can do to stop him loving us. The insidious thing about our turning our backs on God is that we no longer see him. Mm. Right? So I mean, powerful, Mart. No, really, the problem is not with God's heart. That's the well, problem is that's with profound. our heart. Yes. Yeah, we're looking in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. It's very liberating not only to realize there's nothing I can do to make him love me less, but there's nothing I need to do to make him love me more. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's very And it sets different. you free. Yeah, and it almost is then you're out of gratitude and love for him is how your life changes and your behavior changes that way. But it has to come from the inside out, doesn't it? It has to come from a changed heart. It's when you let him love you, you can love him back. And you become beautiful like he saw you in the beginning. Learning to see ourselves as God sees us. That's a liberating lesson from that part of our conversation with Sally Lloyd-Jones, about the Jesus Storybook Bible. As we've been saying all along, this is a really important book for kids. And as it turns out, it's a really important book for us adults as well. And uh, one of my favorite parts, I think, has been listening to Sally read chapters from the Jesus Storybook Bible. Would you agree? Well, we're going to wrap up this conversation by having her read the most requested story, the one kids most often tell her they wanted her to read to them. And so don't miss the memorable conclusion to our time with Sally Lloyd-Jones after this word about where we'll go next on the Discover the Word podcast. On the next Discover the Word podcast, Daniel Ryan Day leads Mart, Annalisa, and Bill into a discussion about the subject of worship. Worship. The English word worship is used nearly 200 times in the Bible beginning in Genesis and going through almost every single book all the way to Revelation. But what comes to your mind when you hear the word worship? In our world today, it's probably something related to music, am I right? But I think we all have an inkling that worship is more than the songs that we sing when we're in church. And so join the group next week as they go through some of those 200 references to worship in the scriptures help us get a better idea of what is worship. Be part of the group for the next Discover the Word podcast. And now let's listen as they talk about and then 
Sally reads the surprisingly most requested story by children from the Jesus Storybook Bible. Oh, Sally, thank you for being with us mm-hmm. this week. We have one more day and it has just gone poof by. <laughs> well, it's thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Beautiful. It's been years since I had someone read me a Bible story <laughs> and I've loved every minute oh. of it. Yeah. You know, one of the things I've been thinking about is what a challenge it is to do a, a storybook for children telling the story of the Bible. Because if we were to rate it, rate the Bible, you know, it's right. like you would rate a movie. Right. It would probably be at least a R and R. You think about the war, the crucifixion. I, there's so much. In the How script. do you make it child appropriate? Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Without nicing it up so much that it doesn't carry the weight of or the meaning. Or dumbing it, it down. Yeah, 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 exactly. So how do you do that? Well, I, I mean, one of the things that happened to me, an editor one time, meaning well, and we do this, we think we want to protect children, which we should, but we also need to equip them. But anyway, if we protect them and we don't think about what we're doing, we can, with meaning well, destroy the whole depth of the story. So mm-hmm. I was told once, we'd love you to write a story about the resurrection, but don't mention death. Well, what you do in that is, if you don't mention death, there's no joy, there is no resurrection. Mm -hmm. So you've actually taken everything that's powerful out of that story. And what's so interesting is when I go and I read to children and I read the Jesus Storybook Bible, and most of them have their copies, which is adorable, but, you know, I go and early on I would expect them to, when I say to them, what's your favorite story? Let me read you your favorite story. I'd expect, you know, Jonah, David and Goliath, Daniel in the lion's den, What I didn't expect was the story that most of them asked for, almost without fail, is the crucifixion. And when I first heard that, my Mm. knee-jerk reaction was exactly what I've just said. I want to protect them. No, no, we can't read that because... Mm -hmm. And then I realized they know exactly the heart of the whole story is the crucifixion. So we have to fight trying to sort of not mention death. Protect them them from the very thing that you say they already can handle. And the truth Mm. is, if you don't tell them the truth, how can they trust us? Because mm-hmm. they know that things are not well out there. Mm-hmm. So much better in an age-appropriate way to have them with you on your lap handling this together. Mm-hmm. That declaws any fear. So can you tell us the story in an age-appropriate way? I hope so. I have to just also say, a dear friend of mine who goes to Russia, he would visit orphanages, and the book is in Russian, which is so fantastic. Mm-hmm. And one time he told me he was reading to a group of orphans and this little girl was listening. And at the end of this story, she went, what are we going to do? Oh, (laughs) Tears streaming down her face. And he said, it's okay, we're going to read the next story. And then he read the resurrection story and she went, but it's too wonderful. (sighs) And there was a child who had never heard this. But look what happened. The depth of her grief led to the height of her joy and yeah. that's what we want isn't it because that's what we're saved by mm. so shall i read you this? Please. please please okay so it's called the sun stops shining so you're a king are you the roman soldiers jeered then you'll need a crown and a robe they gave jesus a crown made out of thorns and put a purple robe on him and pretended to bow down to him your majesty they said then they whipped him and spat on him They didn't understand that this was the Prince of Life, the King of Heaven and Earth, who had come to rescue them. The soldiers made him a sign, our King, and nailed it to a wooden cross. They walked up a hill outside the city. Jesus carried the cross on his back. Jesus had never done anything wrong, but they were going to kill him the way criminals were killed. They nailed Jesus to the cross. Father, forgive them, Jesus gasped. They don't understand what they're doing. You say you've come to rescue us, the people shouted, (laughs) but you can't even rescue yourself. But they were wrong. Jesus could have rescued himself. A legion of angels would have flown to his side if he'd called. If you were really the Son of God, you could just climb down off that cross, they said. And of course they were right. Jesus could have just climbed down. Actually, he could have just said a word and made it all stop, like when he healed that little girl and stilled the storm and fed 5,000 people. But Jesus stayed. You see, they didn't understand. It wasn't the nails that kept Jesus there. It was love. Papa, 
Jesus cried, frantically searching the sky. Papa, where are you? Don't leave me. And for the first time, and the last, when he spoke, nothing happened. Just a horrible, endless silence. God didn't answer. He turned away from his boy. Tears rolled down Jesus' face, the face of the one who would wipe away every tear from every eye. Even though it was midday, a dreadful darkness covered the face of the world. The sun could not shine. The earth trembled and quaked. The great mountains shook. Rocks split in two until it seemed that the whole world would break, that creation itself would tear apart. The full force of the storm of God's fierce anger at sin was coming down on his own son instead of his people. It was the only way God could destroy sin and not destroy his children whose hearts were filled with sin. Then Jesus shouted out in a loud voice, It is finished! And it was. He had done it. Jesus had rescued the whole world. Father, Jesus cried, I give you my life. And with a great sigh, he let himself die. Strange clouds and shadows filled the sky. Purple, orange, black, like a bruise. Jesus' friends gently carried Jesus. They laid Jesus in a new tomb carved out of rock. How could Jesus die? What had gone wrong? What did it mean? They didn't know anything anymore, except they did know their hearts were breaking. That's the end of Jesus, the leaders said. But just to be sure, they sent strong soldiers to guard the tomb. They hauled a huge stone in front of the door to the tomb so that no one could get in or out. Okay, now everything within me wants you to read the resurrection story. I know. <laughs> I know. It's not the end of the story. That's right. And when I hear the way God uses this little children who weep when they come to this over what they've done of their mm. sins. And, you know, I've heard incredible stories of children giving their hearts to mm. God. And when I hear that, I'm just blown away. But, I mean, when I wrote this, I was having a revival in my heart. You mm. can't write this without it moving you. In fact, it's hard to read it without being moved. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It really exposes the very nature of our problem, doesn't it? Christ was suffering under the blows of our fists, the slaps of our hands. Mm -hmm. It was our spit in his face. Mm -hmm. And so often we think of it, I think, in terms of God doing this to We were doing this to him. I mean, this is he was bearing the full weight and the anger and the teeth of our rebellion. Yeah, I love how you brought this to a head for me as I'm seeing it, that he could have gotten himself off yeah. the cross, but Jesus stayed. And you're lying. You see, they didn't understand. It wasn't the nails that kept Jesus there. It was love. Hmm. What a beautiful way to express that. And that's what I think we're so enjoying about Sally's perspective, seeing the whisper of God's love in mm -hmm. every story. Yeah, in the face of our mm -hmm. issues. Mm -hmm. And his response yeah. of love. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like the Christmas song that says, this is such a strange way to save the world. Mm -hmm. A baby uh, coming yeah. to rescue the world. A baby coming and going to a cross. Mm -hmm. What a strange way to save yeah. the world yet. God was willingly doing it. That's right. I mean, it was his plan to let That's right. this play out this way. And the other thing that moved me was thinking that it was the first time God didn't answer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's silence. Like when you think the world was created through mm -hmm. Jesus and then he calls and nothing happens. Mm -hmm. That's And you hold Jesus' Godness when you say, Father, Jesus cried, I give you my life. And with a great sigh, he let himself die. Mm -hmm. There's just this understanding of Jesus, who he is as God still. It's Which is so, such a mystery. Isn't so it? mysterious. Yeah. You have to show the darkness to show the light. So to see the pain that Jesus went through shows how deep his love is. Mm. People often say, well, other people have died. Why is Jesus unusual? And I think it gets back to that silence. He was one with the Father. He'd never been separated. Mm -hmm. That's the difference. Mm -hmm. He's bearing sin that he didn't even, he did nothing wrong. Didn't deserve it. None of it, yeah. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much for being with us, Sally. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I hope you have enjoyed this conversation with Sally Lloyd-Jones as much as we have. Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, and Bill Crowder at the table with Sally Lloyd-Jones, author of the Jesus Storybook Bible, 
talking about how we can help the little ones in our lives discover, as we discover ourselves, how every story in the Bible whispers Jesus' name. And don't forget that if you'd like to get a copy of this book, The Jesus Storybook Bible, we have a link on our website, or you have lots of options for getting that book into your home or the home of those you know who have little ones. Well, remember, I think it was Bill who said, after Sally finished reading about the crucifixion, that everything in him wanted to hear her read about the resurrection, because the cross isn't the end of the story. Well, there's no reason not to, so let's bring Sally back and have her read that chapter about the resurrection and God's wonderful surprise. God's wonderful surprise. The resurrection from Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, and John 20. Jesus' friends were sad. They would never see their best friend again. How could this happen? Wasn't Jesus the rescuer, the king God had promised? It wasn't supposed to end like this. Yes, but whoever said anything about the end? Just before sunrise on the third day, God sent an earthquake and an angel from heaven. When the guards saw the angel, they fell down with fright. The angel rolled the huge stone away, sat on top of it, and waited. At the first glimmer of dawn, Mary Magdalene and other women headed to the tomb to wash Jesus' body. The early morning sun slanted through the ancient olive trees, drops of dew glittering on leaves and grasses, little tears everywhere. The friends walked quietly along the hilly path, through the olive groves, until they reached the tomb, and immediately noticed something odd. It was wide open. They peered through the opening into the dark tomb. But wait! Jesus' body was gone, and something else. A shining man was there, with clothes made of lightning. Don't be scared, the angel said, but they couldn't help it. They screamed anyway. The angel asked them, What are you doing here? This is a tomb, and tombs are for dead people. The women couldn't speak. Jesus isn't dead anymore, he said. He's alive again. And their hearts leapt. And then the angel laughed with such gladness that they felt, for a moment, as if they had woken from a nightmare. The other women rushed home, but Mary stayed behind. How could it be true? Jesus was definitely dead. How could he be alive? Just then, Mary heard someone else in the garden. Perhaps it's the gardener, she thought. He'll know where Jesus' body is. I don't know where Jesus is, Mary said urgently. I can't find him. But it was all right. Jesus knew where she was, and he had found her. Mary. Only one person said her name like that. She could hear her heart thumping. She turned around. She could just make out a figure. She shaded her eyes to see and thought she was dreaming. But she wasn't dreaming. She was seeing. Jesus! Mary fell to the ground. Sudden tears filled her eyes and great sobs shook her whole body and all she wanted in that moment was to cling to Jesus and never let him go. You'll be able to hold on to me later, Mary, Jesus said gently, and always be close to me. But now, go and tell the others that I'm alive. Mary ran and ran all the way to the city. She had never run so fast or so far in all her life. She felt she could have run forever. She didn't even feel like her feet touched the ground. The sun seemed to be dancing and gleaming and bounding across the sky, racing with her and shining brighter than she could ever remember in the clear, fresh air. And it seemed to her that morning as she ran almost as if the whole world had been made anew, almost as if the whole world was singing for joy. The trees, tiny sounds in the grass, the birds, her heart. Was God really making everything sad come untrue? Was he making even death come untrue? She couldn't wait to tell Jesus' friends. They won't believe it, she laughed. She was right of course. Yeah, thanks, Sally. Sally Lloyd-Jones, wrapping up this episode of the Discover the Word podcast with that reading from the Jesus Storybook Bible, God's Wonderful Surprise. 
Discover the Word is the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. We encourage you to explore other studies with the group on our discovertheword.org website. And our mission in all we do here at Discover the Word and Our Daily Bread Ministries is to make the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible understandable and accessible to people all around the world. And so if you'd like to come alongside and partner with us in this ministry, we would invite you to lend your financial support. Simply go online to discovertheword.org and click the Donate button. You'll see some options and uh, you can give right there. Well, thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.